0: Great. If you want to uh, open your Bible and find the book of Ephesians, which is in the New Testament about halfway through, we have been working through the book of Exodus, but I've had enough of that, so <laughs> it just goes on and on and on, though we're, <laughs> we're, going, to, um, we're going to come back to that um, probably next year. Um, and we're going to have, in the build-up to Christmas, we're going to do something a little bit different as well, and we're going to work through some passages from uh, the start of Luke and Matthew, about the Advent story, the Christmas story. And then, Oh, there's these bags down here. What's going on, guys? Okay, but first of all, I've got an exciting announcement. We like exciting announcements, right? Okay, check this out. Yeah, we're going to a castle. Isn't that amazing? There we go, 4th to the 6th of May, 2018. Over that weekend, we will not be meeting here. There'll be no church on Sunday. Instead, for the whole weekend, all of us, we're all invited to go and stay in a castle. Isn't that amazing? Look, it's got a moat and everything. Yeah, it's got like stocks inside where we can, we can imprison people. It's, uh, it's brilliant. It's got suits of armor and swords and things. So bring your kids, uh, it'll be perfectly safe. <laughs> Seriously, the, everyone's invited, kids, families, the whole, the whole caboodle. So get that in your diary now. You want to write that in your diary and you want to say, Yabu sucks to you, I'm going to stay in a castle for a weekend. It's going to be lots of fun. Okay, right, here we go. Ephesians chapter 2, we're just going to read one verse and then I'm going to pray. It says, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Let me pray. God, we thank you so much for your wonderful grace that we've been singing about, that it's by grace that we've been saved. That means it's nothing to do with us and everything to do with you. That we can sing about this future eternity we get with you where there's no pain or sickness or fear or anger. There's no tears or sadness, but there's just perfect joy forever and ever. And God, we thank you. You've called us right now to have a a taste of that, a glimpse of that. That for us as Christians, we can experience true joy in knowing you. That the relationship with you that was broken by our sin has been restored, Jesus, by your work. And each of us can say now, not just I know this God that I read about in a book, but I know personally God, the living God, and he's changed my life. Thank you. That's the story that we get to tell. And uh, I pray that you would help us today as your church, your people, uh, to read and discover and look at a bit more about your purpose for us and how that changes our life. And I pray that you be at work, Holy Spirit, in our hearts this morning, that you'd be drawing us to you, that you'd be revealing your heart and plans for our lives, that you'd be captivating us, giving us a glimpse of this wonderful uh, vision and passion and future you've called us into, and you'd do a mighty work in us, we pray. Amen. Amen. See, our church, if you're new here, a very warm welcome to you. It's great to have you with us We know that walking into a building like this can be a daunting experience. So we really hope that you feel at home amongst us. But the church is much more, as I'm sure you're aware, than just a building. We actually we only rent this for a few hours on a Sunday. The church is a much deeper, more important thing. It's a really beautiful thing actually. I'm gonna talk a little bit about what that means this morning. And part of what uh, we are as a church is that we call Liberty Church. you might have noticed, um, and we 've we've, we've given ourselves that name for a reason, partly because it reflects what we believe about the gospel, the message of Jesus, that Jesus has died for us and rose again, so that we might have liberty, that we might have freedom, that we might have perfect liberty, we believe that. Liberty comes in walking in obedience to Jesus Christ, that when we decide to follow him with our lives, that that's the best way to live. There isn't any better way to live. And that's the message that we want to deliver to our city as well, where many people live in this city because they come here to pursue their dreams and desires, where they come to get the most out of life, to live recklessly or crazy, whatever they want to do. And essentially, people are searching for liberty. They just want to be able to do what they want, when they want. They want to be happy. People are searching for happiness. And we get to say that the the happiness that you're searching for, the freedom for your heart that you're searching for, is found in Jesus. That's the message that we want to bring to this city. And we believe that God's plan in telling the city that message, God's plan in revealing who he is and what he's done he does through the people of god us through the church we're not just a random gathering of people who who kind of stumble into a room on a sunday and just sing a few songs and then go home but we're a family but a family with a mission with a purpose with a plan that god's given the church something particular to do and that's what this verse is about. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. We can often read that as individuals and feel encouraged by that. And on one level, that's true. Each one of us has been made uniquely in the image of God, shaped by his plan, shaped uniquely to serve him, made in his image. But also, it's actually talking Paul's writing to the church, he's saying to the people of God together that we are a workmanship. Workmanship, if you were to look at the original Greek, the word actually means like a, something that's made or a, 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 someone's handiwork. Even you could translate it as, as a work of art, as a masterpiece, as something profound. Something beautiful that's been created. The Greek word is poema, which we, where you get the word poem comes from. This is something beautiful that God's created. The church, the people of God. It's a masterpiece. And the thing is, you should know this if you live in this city and if you've gone to any of the museums or galleries, you can, you can walk around the city and you can see some of the f- most famous masterpieces, famous works of art. Ever painted, ever made. But for an artist or a musician or an author, you only get to do one masterpiece. <laughs> you, you, you can't do ten or twelve, you just get one, which is the masterpiece. One which is you know the main one, the number one thing. And people will argue over which is which is the best, which one of Rembrandt's paintings is the best, which one of the Beatles albums is the best, but you can only have one. Masterpiece, And the church, the people of God, we are Jesus' one masterpiece. It's we're what he's created so that people can look at the community of God and they can see the glory of Jesus. They can see reflected through us, through his people, who he is and what he's done. We're his masterpiece that he's created, his best work of art. He weaves in all these different people from different backgrounds, from different nations, with different stories. He weaves us all together into one community. And we're supposed to be something where someone should come into our, our venue and think, what an odd group of people. What a bizarre bunch of people. How does that person over there relate to this person over here? They live completely different lives. They should, how, how can they be friends? how can these people get on but what god does is he brings people from all these different streams of life and he brings us together we find unity in our identity in christ and that's part of the beauty the magnificence of what the church is it's something that he's created for his glory and it's it's also something that jesus has purchased it says in acts 20 this is a, a verse for leaders in the church, that we're to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Jesus went into the auction house. He didn't just create the masterpiece, but he he brought it. He paid a price for it. He's paid a price for the church. He's obtained it. He's won it to himself. He's paid a price to win us to him, not just individually, but together. Another picture that the Bible uses to talk about the church is that we're the bride of Christ. It says in Ephesians in Ephesians 5, husbands, love your wives. That's fairly sensible logic. We would think we would know that. As husbands, we're supposed to love our wives. As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Man, that's a hard, that's a hard act to follow, right? If you're a husband here or you want to be a husband one day, that's a tough job description. I want to love my wife in the same way that Jesus loved the church. How did Jesus love the church? He died for us. He gave himself up for us. It's not just a verse for husbands, but it's a verse for the the church. It's to describe to us that we've been, as believers in him, we've been married to Christ that he's won us, he's obtained us, he's purchased us, he's died for us. The church, the people of God, we're his bride now, called into this perfect relationship with him. Even to the point of it's, it, you, you find this wonderful verse in, in Acts 9, the story behind Acts chapter 9 is Saul, he'd been persecuting the church, he was a bit of a baddie in the early chapters of the book of Acts. And then he goes on to write quite a lot of the New Testament, including Ephesians. What happens is Saul has been persecuting the church. By persecuting, I don't just mean saying a few bad things, but doing some pretty gruesome things, some horrible things. And God just encounters him. He's, he's on the road to a place called Damascus, and God encounters him, and it says he fell out onto the ground, and he heard a voice, which is Jesus, saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Which is a funny thing to say if you think about it, because Saul wasn't persecuting Jesus. He didn't believe Jesus was, had any power. He just thought Jesus was just another guy who is now dead. What Saul was persecuting was the church, the early church, the very first church in Jerusalem. He was attacking them. He was attacking the people of God. So almost Jesus, what Jesus should say perhaps is, Saul, why are you persecuting the church? Or he could go as far to say, why are you persecuting my church? Or why are you persecuting my people? But Jesus says something else. He says, why are you persecuting me? Because there's this profound mystery in the Bible where the church, the people of God, were described as his body, with Christ as the head of the body. And it's not just a nice picture, it's not an illustration But there's something wonderfully spiritually true about that. That the depth and intimacy of relationship we have with Christ, we're called in to be part of his body. The church, the people of God together, we're called to be part of this body, his body. And not only is the church uh, uh, like a, a work of art, something that's purchased, a bride the church is central to God's new creation plan. It says in 2 Corinthians 5, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. What happens when you could, you could explain the story of the Bible, the story of all of history as creation, fall, redemption, and restoration? See, what happened is when Jesus died and rose again, he inaugurated, he started a new age, a new time in history. There's this massive mark in history. There's the before and then there's the after. You know, even the way our calendar is written is from after what Jesus has done. It's because Jesus started something new, he brought a new creation into being. And right at the heart of that, again, is the church is the people of God. We're called right into the very center of that. The church is a picture of the future, a glimpse of what heaven and eternity is like, a glimpse of what's to come, of what Jesus has created for us to enjoy together. When we pray the prayer, your kingdom come on earth as it is is in heaven, you could pray it, in, in Amsterdam as it is in heaven and that's supposed to be that prayer, what we're looking for is what God's going to do in the church in the people of God that we're the people that are supposed to open up little pockets of heaven within our city that we're supposed to expose people to what the future's going to be like in eternity worshipping Jesus forever, that's so why we gather together and we sing songs of worship it's because we, it, we're, we're tasting a glimpse of our future, and the church is supposed to take that out into the city, out into the world around us. We're supposed to be this masterpiece depicting Jesus and what he's done and his love and how uh, amazing relationship with Jesus can be if people would accept him and follow him. But the thing is, the church is not only a, a masterpiece, but the church is supposed to be put to work. We're supposed to be in action. We're supposed to have something to do, a a purpose. It says we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. God has a purpose for us, a plan. Churches are built to do something. Let me read this story to you, just a little bit from this book. Not loads, don't worry. It says it was... 11.20 11.20 a.m. in London on June the 18th, 1944. And London was under siege in the midst of uh, aerial bombardment with sirens blaring and chaos reigning. And Dr. Martin Law jones who was a church pastor in London at the time, stood before his people in his building a few hundred feet from Buckingham Palace in the centre of London and there were rockets being fired into the, into the city. They called them doodlebugs because they made a really distinctive noise and they'd been hitting the city for a week. And In that week, 10,000 people had been killed and the whole church could hear the rocket closing in. But Lloyd-Jones had begun his prayer, his pastoral prayer and he didn't stop and the whine overhead grew too loud though for him to continue and so he paused. And all the congregation held their breath. And then the bomb fell. There was a massive explosion. Debris fell from the ceiling. The structure of the building cracked. One woman had closed her eyes moments before. She opened them and saw fine white dust covering her fellow parishioners. And she thought that she was in heaven. The congregation rose to their feet. Panic was in the air. The church members waited to see how their pastor would react. Would he reap? Would he run? Would he panic? He didn't. With sirens screaming, the doctor, that was his name, they called him the doctor, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, he resumed his prayer. It's, at its close, he told the people that any who wished to do so could move under the gallery for safety. Someone then went to the podium, dusted it off, and sat down. And then Lord jones resumed his place at the front of the church, opened his Bible, and without missing a beat, he began to preach God's word to the people. Sounds like a cr- crazy nutter, doesn't he? But what what Martin Wood-Jones understood is that's where the church is supposed to be. It's not supposed to be made for just peace and quiet times. It's not supposed to just disappear to the outskirts of the city and hide away, just become a nice ghetto hidden. But the church, the people of God, is supposed to be in the center of the action, that the church is built for wartime. I don't mean that in a militant, aggressive way. We're actually supposed to usher in the kingdom of peace. But we shouldn't be afraid when we look around society around us, when we look at our city. and and Part of our our instinct can be to, to run and hide. This is too dangerous. What these people believe is too scary. Even as parents, we think, could I really put my kid in that situation? Do I want to put myself in that situation? We want to run away and lock ourselves away. But the church isn't supposed to be like that. We're supposed to run into the, into the action. We're supposed to be where society around us is burning and on a blaze. That's where we're supposed to go to bring the rescue of Jesus to the world around us. Because, you know, when you're talking about the church being the bride of Christ and all his workmanship, that can all sound quite peaceful and lovely and idyllic and beautiful. Whereas, actually, the church is, is messy, right? <laughs> is sometimes even slightly chaotic sometimes even chaotic people will come in and be amongst us that's brilliant this isn't supposed to be a room full of perfect people and if you think that's true then you're deceived it's definitely not church is supposed to be somewhere that welcomes in broken people that we will then find our our fullness our wholeness in Jesus Christ people from all sorts of different backgrounds. We're supposed to welcome them all in to be with us. And that's not just in a, I'm not just, as you've noticed, I'm not talking about the church as some universal thing of all believers everywhere. I'm talking about us here, the local church. If you read the book of Acts, if you read the story of the New Testament, that's what happened. Jesus gave them his great commission to go and make disciples and how they interpreted that, what they did was they started churches. That's what they did. (laughs) They didn't even have to think about it. That was their automatic response. And that's the same for us. That's why we're here because we're following the same great commission. We're following the same story. We're trying to build the same thing. God works his plans out through his church, through his people. And that's not just something that happens individually, but it's something that we do together. It's something that we work out together as a family together. Because it says here, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand. Isn't that remarkable that God's not only given you things to do, but given us things to do, that God's prepared a particular role for you and for us to play, that he's already got it mapped out. (laughs) He's already got his strategy, his plans in place. He's already working things for his good in this city. And sometimes you get moments when you can kind of zoom out and you suddenly see what God's doing and you think, wow, God has prepared this. So it was when Joe and I first decided to to move here to Amsterdam. We were trying to uh, draw some people to come and join us. We invited Simon Lottie to come and be part of the team. We invited some other people. And then I got this message from Len, who was leading worship on the guitar this morning. I'd never met him before, but he says, oh, hey, I hear you're planting a church in Amsterdam. I feel God's spoken to me about that as well. You think that's brilliant, that two people in two different parts of the world God spoke to us and called us to come to the same city. But what was even more remarkable is that Len started dating this girl called Maria, who they ended up getting married. But the wonderful thing, what you, most of you probably don't know, is, is that Maria and my wife Joe went to school when they were eight years old. Um, I won't tell you how long ago, because then be able to figure out how old they are, but a while ago. <laughs> they went to school together when they were eight years old and then they'd not seen each other for, I don't know, years, decades after that. But you see how God weaves these little plans together, these little stories together. And God had decided, okay, you guys, I I decided that you go to school together for a reason so that decades later you could go and plant a church together. Isn't that amazing? God weaves these little plans together. He's writing these stories because God's prepared it all beforehand. He's already decided how it's all going to work out. It doesn't mean we just sit back and say, oh, well, I've got nothing to do here. (laughs) It means we run after him, we pursue his purposes, but trusting that he knows what he's doing. That he knows what he's doing with your life, with your family, with this church, us together. He knows what he's doing. That he's called you here for a reason. You might think, well, I just moved here to study. I'm just here for work. No, you're not. That's that's the second reason. The first reason is that God's brought you here for a purpose, for a reason he's called you here to do something particular and within this body of Christ the church each of us gets to figure out what part are we going to play what are we going to do another illustration the bible uses to talk about the church is like a building with Christ as the cornerstone and the structure of this building goes up we've had a, there's been a, an apartment just across Uh, From the back of our apartment we can see it, I have a desk upstairs where I work, and the last couple of months I've watched them renovate this apartment, and it started with the builders came in, they built an extension to it, and they did some other things, and there was two guys, some, some days a third guy would come in, and then they got painters and decorators in, they got plumbers in, they got electricians, And it started off with just a few of them, but by the end, every day there was a different person in there doing a different thing. And I was spying on them through the window, as you can tell, figuring out what was going on. But that's the same with how God builds his church, that he calls each of us to come in and play a different role. Someone to be a plumber, someone to be an electrician. He gives us a different job to do. We get to play a a unique and individual part in his story. We get to paint, create our own little masterpiece as part of the bigger picture of what God is doing. He's called us to do something particular. But when you think about it, you think that's amazing because we could think, what could we do together? With all these different unique giftings and skills, all these different people that God's called to us, what could we achieve together? What's God prepared us beforehand for us to do together in this city? How could he reach this city using us together? And sometimes that means that that some of the things that you want to do, you need to wait. (laughs) You need to think, well, I'd love to do that, but actually that's not, not what God's called us to do right now. Actually building the church, often a lot of it is about having to let some of your own preferences kind of die or put them to one side. I think, actually, I'm going to serve what God's doing now, here and now in this city. And sometimes when you do that, when you say, well, I'd really love to see that happen, but I'll just put that on the back burner. Then all of a sudden, a little while later, God breathes life on it again. See, for, for, for Werner and Katerina, they moved here and they moved to Harlem and there's no one living in Harlem at the time. And they probably felt a bit like, how can we part of this church and live in Harlem? But then all of a sudden, four or five other families joined who also live in Harlem. You see what happens is sometimes we let our preferences, our plans, our own dreams, I'd love to see this happen. We have to just sort of say, well, I just have to let that wait. And then later on, God breathes life on them. There's so much that we could do in this city. There's so many needs that we could help meet. There's so many plans and dreams that probably some of you are carrying in your own heart. Sometimes we just have to wait and see what God's going to do, follow where he's going, how he's leading us. But in all of it, we need to make sure that we're we're walking together. These good works which he's prepared, prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This idea of walking is a, a common kind of metaphor, a picture that the New Testament uses to describe our kind of following Jesus, our life for him is a walk. Something that we step out, that we walk together. And I guess where I'm building to today is we, there is a walk that God's called us to do. And a lot of it really, it's not really about plans and events and things. It's about relationship. It's about committing to people, committing to invest in people's lives over the long term. Because sadly, in, in the world around us, often how we're trained to think is we can have um, a kind of a very broad but shallow influence. We, we can think we're being influential because we use things like social media, to kind of send out messages and to try and influence people. Do you know, I've been on Twitter for eight years, I think, maybe nine years. I've never read anything on Twitter that's changed my life, never. I must have spent hours flicking through millions of messages. I've never seen a picture on Instagram that's changed my life, I haven't. I've seen someone that the, oh, that's a nice picture. I've forgotten about it 10 seconds later. It's not to say that those things are bad, But the influence that God's called you to have is not a broad, shallow one, but a narrow, but deep one. Because, as I I said, I've been on Twitter. I can't think of anything that I've read that's changed my life or even changed my day. But I could easily give you four or five people that have profoundly impacted my life. That If it wasn't for them and what they'd invested in me at different times in my life, I'd be a completely different person. And that's the influence that we get to have, rather than just uh, disconnecting ourselves from the world and just, just (laughs) it sounds like a silly thing, but it's what we do now. We just disconnect us from real life and we engage in this kind of digital illusion of community and of relationship, which is so fake. (laughs) It's just scratching the surface of what relationship can be like. Real relationship isn't just exchanging a few messages with people. Real relationship is investing your life in people, of being vulnerable with people, of of, of saying things to people that you think, I've never told anyone that. And then when they tell you something they've never told anyone, of you graciously listening to them, praying for them, caring for them. It's meeting one another's needs, real needs, actual physical needs, when someone's in in pain or in trouble, when someone's struggling with fear or anxiety, with getting alongside them and supporting them. That's what the church is supposed to do. And if if each of us in the city helped to influence maybe just five people, maybe just one or two people, and then those one or two people then also went went and influenced one or two people, (laughs) you can see how the effects grow and change that our kind of, if each of us focused on a narrow but deep influence, together you can actually go deep and wide. <laughs> That's what the church is supposed to do, is that together, one by one, person by person, we can have incredible influence in all sorts of different ways, by investing in people, by loving and caring for people. And let me just talk a bit practically here about what that could look like. And very simple, it's an acronym that sometimes we talk about called BLESS. You see, it's clever there, isn't it? You see down the side, B-L-E-S-S, BLESS. Although it's a bit kind of bended to make it in there, because begin with prayer, because PLESS didn't really work quite so well. (laughs) But this is a great model of how you can very simply engage with people around you. First of all, just... Pray for them. Obviously, we begin with prayer because in this church, we believe prayer works. It really does. Particularly if you commit, I'm going to just pray for this one person. Maybe it's a neighbor, maybe someone that you work with, maybe a family member. Commit to pray for them and just see what God does. Might not be a day or a week. This could be months or years of committing to pray for people, but see what God does. And then secondly, you might think those Christians, we then kind of come in and where's the gospel? Where are we pounding people with Jesus? But secondly, just listen to people. So many people in this city have never had anyone really listen to them. In the world around us, loneliness is such a huge issue. Also, parenting, fatherhood is such a huge issue. So many people in this city are estranged from their parents, from their mum and dad. Because their parents don't live here or they've never really had a proper relationship with their parents. Man, in our kids' school, we see so many kids who are seven, eight years old, who they only really know one of their parents or it's even more confusing. It seems like they've got three or four parents all competing for attention. And the the upshot is often that people just don't have anyone to listen to them. (laughs) They don't really have anyone to talk to and share their life with. If you invest time just to listen to people, man, that's so powerful. That's so powerful just to not go in and just talk at people, but listen to them, hear about their life, hear what's been happening with them. And then even easier, eat with them. (laughs) You could do that this week. Just go to someone that you work with and say, hey, I'd love to buy you a coffee. I'll take you out to Dunkin' Donuts or whatever. You you suddenly find when you eat with people that it's it's a weird thing, but it's what Jesus did. He ate with people. What happens when you start eating with people, it kind of opens something up. (laughs) There's almost this spiritual thing kicks in and people feel the freedom to begin to talk a bit more about their life. Maybe it's just because you've brought them something and they feel like they need to give you something back, I don't know. But there's something quite powerful about that. We, d- we did it this week. We, uh, her mum came around to pick up a kid that had been playing her house. We had some extra food. We said, why don't you just stay for dinner? And there was, that meant there was how many, there was seven women and me at the table, so. <laughs> I was just holding on for dear life. Like, <laughs> We can get through this, Matt. We can do this. But it's a very easy thing to do. It's really simple. The next one, serve. Once you've heard a little bit about someone's story, once you've spent a little bit of time with them, you could just ask them, hey, what could I do to bless you? What could I do to serve you? What could I do to make your life a little bit easier? What could I do to help you? It's very simple. It doesn't need to be anything dramatic at all. I'm sure there's lots of ways you could think about how that could happen. And then finally, at the end, that's when you get to tell your story. Once you've invested time in their life, once you serve them and bless them, once they know that you really do actually care for them, that you're not just trying to bash them into submission, then there's an opportunity there to share your story, share about what God's done in your life about how he's changed you and transformed you. I guess my encouragement to all of you here would be to invest in people. Invest in one another in people within this church family, but don't please don't limit it to that. Invest in the people around you. And invest in this city. Don't just be here as, as someone who's passing through. Many of us are, many of us probably feel a bit like that because you've moved here for business or you're a student here. Or maybe you've grown up here and think, well, one day I'll probably move away. But invest in this city. You know, this city needs, it doesn't just need a kind of missionary hit of people who come in and do like a couple of weeks or a couple of months or even a couple of years of frenetic activity and then leave. This city needs people that stay for years and for decades. We had some, I've told this story before, but I'll tell it again. We had some friends in England that when we, we moved to Brighton, we moved from a town called Bedford to a place called Brighton in England. Ellie, our oldest, was six months old at the time. So Joe took Ellie along to this kind of mums and toddlers group and made friends with four or five other mums. So there's, a, one, I think, one or two other mums who were from the same church as us and then a few other people who weren't at all and one of these mums, we got to know her and her family and her husband and their kids. And they, they said, well, we're, we're, you're Christians, but we're atheists. We're like, well, we didn't even ask. But they were really clear, we're atheists, we don't believe in God. But their son had like this eczema on his skin, like this thing that kept that was kind of there all the time, you know, on his arms, on his face. And we said, oh, we'll, we'll pray for him, we'll pray for your son. And they were like, oh, whatever. I said, no, we'll pray. And we did, and nothing happened. <laughs> and then their son, when he was uh, four, I guess, started going to school and the kids started bullying him, taking the mickey out of him because it was quite visible on his face. Um, so in, in an act of desperation, his atheist parents prayed for him. <laughs> they said, well, we don't believe in God, but got, we, don't, we don't want what else to do. So they prayed for him. And within two weeks, it all completely gone. He'd had it for four years from birth, within two weeks, faces, arms, this eczema was completely gone, disappeared. And still they didn't believe in God. <laughs> they just thought this was some wonderful coincidence. But over time, over years of investing in them, praying for them, loving them, I think by the time we left, we lived in Brighton for eight years, and this lady had just started coming to church. She actually she came to visit Joe last weekend, and her life's completely different now. Jesus has transformed her life. Her kids go to church with her. Her husband goes to church with her. The story's still being worked out with the rest of her family. But what I'm saying is, sometimes you need to invest. We invested in that family for eight years. (laughs) For some of us, you know, we're 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 investing in the people we get to know through the kids' school, through our neighbours. And little by little, you see moments open up where something happens and they say, could you, could, could you help us? Even we've had our neighbours, who again would describe themselves as atheists, a serious thing came up in their life. They knocked on our door and, and were in tears. What do we do? Can you pray for us? We said, well, of course we will. But that happened because we invested in their life. Look, just stay around. <laughs> Invest in this city, invest in this church, you don't know what God could do over years, decades even. That's, that's how, We're not here just for a few months or years, we're here for the long haul, unless God tells me otherwise, and then he's going to have to ride it in the sky. Seriously, we're here, we're committed to this, because we believe God's called us here, he's got great plans for this city, that this the, what, what's happened here in the last three years since we started is remarkable. There was just 10 of us in our living room. We can look around and see what God's done, but this is just the beginning. This is just chapter one. <laughs> There's so much more that God wants to do, and that's why we're here. But the wonderful thing in all of this, because this, maybe this sounds a bit daunting to you, is the verses that come just before, verses eight and nine. It says, by four... By grace you've been saved through faith. This is not your own doing, it's the gift of God. Not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. I don't want you to go away feeling that, oh goodness, we've got to just go and do lots of things. We're saved by grace. That means, essentially, you don't have to do anything. But yet, because of what Jesus has done in us, we want to serve him. And there are lots of imperatives in the Bible, lots of things to go and do, lots of ways to live in holiness, lots of ways to love and serve people, which the Bible is really clear on, but all of them come from this foundation of Jesus has changed us, we're saved by his grace. We're not. We don't go and love and serve our city to kind of build up some sort of quota of things that we've done so we, some, one day we can go to Jesus and say look at all these things I've done look at this list of things I've achieved because we don't need that because we've already been made righteous by what Jesus has done for us and all of this comes out of just thankfulness <laughs> and joy for what he's done in our lives okay I'll stop talking now um, if you want to stand to your feet let me just pray for us In a moment we're going to share communion together. God we thank you so much that we we can declare that it's by grace that we've been saved not as a result of anything that we've done. So none of us can boast. And that's the that's really the message that we want to take to this city and to display to this city is who you are and what you've done. That's what the the picture this masterpiece should depict, that's what it should show, is your unfailing love. And we thank you that it's, we've seen it. It's captivated our hearts. And we want it to captivate others as well. Jesus, I just want to pray for anybody here that this is news to them, or this is crazy to them, or they think I'm a lunatic. I thank you, Jesus, that... It doesn't matter who we are or where we've come from, that each of us can respond to what you're doing in our lives. I don't believe anybody's in this room by accident. I pray, Jesus, that you'd speak to everyone in this room, that you'd call us into your plans and purposes. you call us into, we we all wanna play a part in your story. It's not about us and our story, it's about you and what you've done and what you're doing. I pray you'd catch us up in that, Father. Thank you, Jesus.